0: Let's
1: go. Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today, Air Force veteran, physician's assistant, and host of 21 Gun Podcast, Kevin Sullivan. How's it going?
0: Going great. How's it going down there
1: in Texas? Uh, You know, Texas, Texas (laughs) things. It's getting warmer by the day. Yeah. Um, so you're uh you were in the air force um what'd you do
0: i was um uh I went in to be a TAC p uh it was actually right after it was the classic story right uh September twelfth two thousand one i actually was my enlistment date and um I went to a bunch of recruiters and I was like i want to do something really cool and uh the air force guy was there and he's like come see what attack P does. And, and he sold me on it. So they sent me to, um, uh, officer candidate school. Cause I had my bachelor's degree. Uh, and while I was there, I guess all, all possible flyers have to take like a, a, a battery of, of flying exams. Mm-hmm. And I scored well. And, uh, I had no an- like none my whole life. I had no anticipation to ever fly an aircraft. And then they came to me and they're like, Hey, do you want to fly? I was like, I don't know, I guess so. Let's let's do this. So I, I ended up being a, a flyer, an aviator, a uh, uh, navigator, backseat guy, uh, yeah. especially in, in C-130s down at Bragg.
1: So what does a backseat <clears throat> navigator do? Because I've jumped out of those things before, but I never really paid attention oh, yeah. to the front of the aircraft.
0: A lot of mission planning, a lot of um, uh, uh, weapon systems, uh, defensive systems. Um, we're also a set of eyes. Like if we do some low levels, which Fort Bragg isn't really... not a lot of hills there so it's not that exciting got a lot of drop zones and stuff but um you know just being that extra set of eyes watching engines watching flight controls and then being the guy that yells green light to make sure you guys land on the the drop zone lots of math and stuff which is funny because i suck at math i've always sucked at math i've had a, a learning disability uh dyslexia my whole life and it was one of those things that i never really disclosed to anyone who asked so it it became a challenge but you know if you ask any aviator they're the best in their squadron so i was the best nav that uh that was down at 41st so it didn't really affect me
1: yeah it's funny i know a lot of <clears throat> a lot of snipers who suck at math but they're they're good at sniper math it's the only math they know you know yeah um
0: it's real world stuff right? yeah, yeah. if you look at it if you look at it the way i don't know uh the way physics and everything works it just kind of it, it made sense to me so yeah it wasn't that hard
1: um and Tell me about when you got out of the military, uh, you were in from what? 03 to 2007. Is that right?
0: Yep. Yep. Um, so it, it wasn't the career that I had anticipated. Um, I mean, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. It was all kind of like, a, uh, you know, like I said, the classic September 11th happened, I want to join and I want to do stuff. I was kind of aimless 23, I think when I joined. And so if, if I made it a career, I'd make it a career if I didn't, whatever, um, we were caught up, especially in the the C130 community in that ops tempo back then. Remember, this is after the initial invasion of Iraq. We had the um uh the surge of like 06, but the, it got really violent, oh four, oh five. So we were we were gone all the time. Uh the the stress started building up and I did what every good uh operations officer does is you drink yourself to sleep to get rid of that stress and you don't handle it the way that you're supposed to handle it. No one teaches you how to handle stress. Um, it got to me. I, I didn't realize at the time this was doing some some damage to my brain, um, which is why we have the the epidemic of of post traumatic stes- uh, stress, especially for the guys uh, and girls uh, who served over there. So uh, we were flying back from some mission, and I, I don't know what happened. I have uh, what we call retrograde amnesia, but I woke up in the back of the aircraft. Uh, the loadmaster said that he had found me kind of crumpled down at the bottom of the steps, like I had fallen. Um, so it was a traumatic brain injury that on top of all the other, you know, shit that was going on in my brain, uh, was not a a conducive to flying. So I got put on the, the typical antidepressants, pain medications, sleeping medications, just the whole nine yards life kind of sucked for me. And I got, I got medically retired. So it it wasn't, it wasn't in the plans. (laughs) It sucked very bad for a long time. Um, but, you know, I mean, you adapt and you figure things out. Sure, yeah. Um,
1: <clears throat> so you get out. Um,
0: it's kind of at the
1: one of the height. There, there, I guess there were multiple heights of this war, but uh, at the sure. height of uh, the surge, at least, in 2007. That's I was there from 07 to 08. <clears throat> okay. Um, it was pretty hairy, I guess. I mean, we had a good time, but uh, it was... Uh, the O five O six period was particularly brutal because it was the same level of kinetic activity without the same amount of support on the ground more or less is a good way to right. describe that i think um and then you get out and get out under circumstances that you probably didn't want to right like your yeah. your your entire life is defined by this career you have and then all of a sudden you can't do that anymore and that's that's yep. got to suck right
0: it's it- it's, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, anyone, you know, it, it's a common story. It's actually a really common story. Um, I got out and, you know, like I said, you're, you're the best, at least in your mind, you're the best aviator, right? You're, you're uh, at the the peak of your career. You think nothing can stop you. And then suddenly the, the U S government says, yeah, no more missions for you. No more anything. You are broken. You're going to be taking these pills for the rest of your life. And you're going to feel like shit. And you're, you're, you know, out in the world, you're a civilian again. And a lot, I mean, I doing my, my show, my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of veterans that found themselves in the same situation. What do I do? I'm trained to drop Humvees and, and paratroopers out of the back of an aircraft and dodge, uh, uh, service terror missiles. I don't know what I'm going to do in the real world. I was aimless beforehand. I got some BS degree in, um, in history. I I just had nothing. And I felt like you know, I had just gotten married. What am I going to do? Like, what am I going to provide for my family? Luckily, I, I and I don't know what it is. Um, it might have been my, my upbringing or, you know, I could have laid in bed and been depressed and drank, which was, you know, I did it for a couple of weeks, but it got old quick. And my wife uh, didn't let that happen. So I, I, I decided I'm just going to freaking suffer through this how many people in history have gone through worse, right? Lost mm. their legs, um, bad burns, whatever. I'm like, my thing is nothing, right? I have to take some pills and I got some some you know side effects. So I was like, I'm going to I'm going to learn to help people. And I went to I started from scratch. I went to like a local community college, learned how to draw blood and then decided that I was going to go to P.A. school and and see where that took me. So that's what I did. You know, after those two weeks, I just hit the books and somehow I don't know how I <laughs> honestly don't know how it happened. Uh, a few years later, I graduated as a uh, physician assistant.
1: Yeah, that's how uh, <clears throat> that's how the Stoics would recommend responding to something. Uh, not the depressive two-week part, but the yeah. uh, I guess one of the mantras, I think it was Seneca who said this, but it, it's something to the effect of whenever you're going through particularly hard times and you think you can't make it, understand that the fact that you've made it so far means that you can, right? Sure. It's like, you, you've already, you've already, uh, you've already passed every roadblock in your life up to this point. And, uh, you know, that, that is the evidence that you can continue. And I think one of the things that I'd like to tell people, <clears throat> particularly in your situation or the similar situation I was in at the time, it's you know you have to get back to fundamentals you have to understand that that your um your level of fulfillment in life which is the word that people mean when they say happiness you know what i mean like happiness is you see your fucking dog and get a dopamine hit or something or you see your kid you know get a base hit on the field or graduate high school and you're proud of them that's that's happiness. Fulfillment means you're content with your life. You feel like you're serving your purpose. And and getting back to the fundamentals of that means, what are the skills I have both developed and biological that I can use to benefit other people, starting with my family first? That's typically how human beings have found fulfillment throughout the years. And what I like to tell people is that the harder things get for you, the bigger the opportunity. Because if you can turn your pain and suffering and struggle or whatever into empathy for other people, you can save two lives, yours and theirs. Right. And that's how sure. we typically find ourselves again is in the service of other people.
0: Yeah, it's difficult. It's it's real difficult. Um, that's why we have so many people that are struggling to, to find that within yourself. I mean, it's the basis of practicing medicine. You know, I have so many people that are sick because of their lifestyle choices, because of, of things that are completely within their control. But to tap into whatever that is that causes someone to say, "I'm going to break away from the comfort of sitting in my my bedroom with the the you know shades drawn, with a bottle of Jack Daniels and feel bad for myself," to still feeling bad, but putting that behind you and putting the work in to become something else. It, it's, I mean, like I said, if if I had the answer for how to tap that in or, or tap that potential within people. I'd be a, a billionaire and we would have, we'd have no issues. So yeah, it's a challenging thing. And, and I, I don't know, I honestly don't know what it was that, that caused me to do that, but I'm glad I did. Cause, uh, I mean, obviously we know that the, the other choice doesn't pay dividends in the long run. Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: <clears throat> we do have a lot of people struggling even today. Um, I mean, we haven't been, aside from the special operations community, we haven't really been at war in earnest for some time now, right? Um, It's things that things have slowed down quite a bit. But what we're seeing is a rise, a precipitous rise in veterans and active duty suicide. And it's not concentrated where you think it would be. It's not active duty infantry people like the National Guard and reserves have uh, have a much higher rate of suicide than active duty infantry people do right now than special operations do right now. Um, <clears throat> I don't think, and, and the reason I think this is is because these people separate from the tribe and go back to, you know, wherever they're from, and they can't find that sense of purpose. Again, I, I really, I, I genuinely think that's what it is. There's a lot of people struggling. I don't think it's because they can't figure out how to help other people either. I think it's because we're treating this entire generation of veteran Um, like victims instead of assets. You know what I mean? I don't think, I don't, I don't, because I I know this to be the case for myself and many other people that I've worked with and discussed these issues with, but but these men and women don't need a pat on the back or a shoulder to cry on. They need a fucking mission. They need something to do with all the, with all the, the talent, energy, perspective, and experience they have. They need a mission that's going to make their lives feel worthwhile. And right now, what we're giving them is essentially nothing, right? I mean, the, yeah. uh, what we're really giving them is a total vacuum and, and, and and you know, no guidance on how to reach out and help people and stuff like that. It's fucked
0: up. Plus the, the I mean, the medications that they put you on. I mean, I was... I don't remember how old I was, but let's say 33, and I had half the energy I do now in my 40s. You know, I was falling asleep in my office. I wasn't there for my kids. Um, I was completely addicted to um, ambient. I couldn't sleep without it. Um, Painkiller, what, you know, everything else that was just given to you out of, I think it's out of the benevolence of the military because this is what they had, this is all they had. Um, and then what you would mention there about, you know, the, the suicide situation, I think America, thanks to Hollywood, maybe they, they think the suicide is because, you know, you picture the guy there with his, with his service pistol, uh, reliving a battle somewhere and hearing the bombs go off and hearing the bullets fly by and the screams and she but it's, it's not that from my experience with people that we've lost with some of the organizations I've worked with. It's, it's exactly what you said, this loss of, of something that's meaning with within them. The other thing too, you got to remember is in the military, you're a cog, right? So when I was on the C-130, if they said, hey, the mission dictates that you're going to fly through that, you know, thunderstorm, because that's what we need you to do, then you, yes, sir. And you fly your aircraft through a thunderstorm. Uh, they put us in situations where we're exposed to radiation, depleted uranium, um, JP8, which isn't really good for you, uh, concussive. Uh, even small concussive blows, like, you know, if you're manning a Modus or something like that. And this creates a, a very uh, hostile environment in your brain to operate. So these people that that find themselves in that situation where the only answer is is suicide, you have to look at it, at least I look at it as a medical provider, in the same light as someone who has a terminal cancer, right? Someone dies of a terminal cancer, you don't say, oh, you know, that dude was weak. He should have fought that brain <clears throat> cancer, or whatever. It's the same thing. I don't think it's, I don't think they find themselves in an environment where they can actually make the decision not to pull the trigger or whatever they decide to do. And, um, you know, luckily there's, there's, you know, organizations and groups that are are picking up on this. We do some work with um, Grunt Style Foundation, and they're heavy on the um, um, radiation uh, exposure and different chemical exposures. I work with Warrior Angels Foundation. Same thing. We do all these alternative therapies to um, identify the risk factors that can put somebody in this environment of of you know possible suicide. So it it's it's moving. We're we're going in the right direction. I think.
1: Uh, Yeah, it feels like it sometimes, but there's still a very broad misunderstanding, even inside of the VA and the broader uh, uh, veteran medical community about what this is. You're you're completely right. This Hollywood scenario where somebody is having flashbacks about um, about some particular gunfight they were in or getting blown up or some shit, I mean, maybe to some degree that's a stimulus for things. It can certainly fuck up your sympathetic nervous system, but sure. almost always it's the veteran feels alone and disassociated from their family, friends, community. And, um, you're, you're talking about somebody who has like any other, I guess service minded or a type person has a strong biological urge above all else to pro- provide and protect. For those close to them, mm-hmm. their family friends their country whatever it is and now they feel like they can't do it right and right. nothing nothing feels worse for at least i don't know about uh how women process this because i'm not a woman but nothing feels worse as a man than letting down your family and your friends and your team nothing nothing feels worse than feeling like you're not contributing and that turns to nihilism very quickly I mean, it's mm-hmm. and you, and you see, and, it, and it's kind of a cascading effect too. So you start to disassociate, you you form a very negative internal opinion of yourself, and then you don't want to share that with other people, right? You don't want to infect your your friends and your family with your negativity or your perceived worthlessness. So you start to pull away from them, and you lose what little support you have left, right? But yeah. the the sad irony of that situation is. <clears throat> if you stop thinking about yourself for a minute and just start helping other people, all of this shit will go away. That's how it works. I mean, it it is, it is, uh, uh, and that, that is reductive. Certainly it takes time and you still need to get your mind right. But putting other people before yourself, that's what you've made a life of doing. Like you, you, every, every single person we're talking about here made a conscious decision to put other people ahead of their own life, but just by signing up for the military in the first place. So, you know, the idea that, we're going to coddle these people when they come home instead of giving them the next mission or the idea that as the veteran, you know, you think that somehow pills or therapy or not that there isn't some use for talk therapy to, to kind of flush this stuff out. But, um, the idea that these mechanisms are going to work for you in the absence of some kind of purpose in your life is nonsense. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's a, it's a bandaid on a bullet hole.
0: Yeah, well, we also build a foundation of sand. Um, every veteran that I know has struggled has told themselves a lie every day. I told myself a lie. I was weak, right? What the hell happened to me? How come my 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 crew uh, or several crews that I flew with, how come this didn't happen to anyone else, right? Um, so you walk around and you you consistently call yourself, you know, I'm a piece of shit. I'm weak. I couldn't do what they could do. I'm obviously less than everyone. And you believe it. You build this, this persona that is not rooted like you just said it's not rooted in reality for it just by joining the military you're already setting yourself um uh, apart from others but it doesn't matter you keep telling yourself this lie you keep telling yourself this lie and eventually you believe it um i found that there's there's two methods that actually worked for me one was uh cognitive now there's something called cognitive behavioral therapy which i i, I guess i did i don't remember I, maybe when i was in the service which i didn't i didn't find any value um i believe it was cognitive processing therapy where you act like you 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 have a notebook and you write down all the stuff that you basically tell yourself, I failed my crew. Okay. You're in the court of law. Defend that statement and then you try to put your defense, but your defense is all bullshit, right? I failed my, my crew because I was weak. Okay, prove that you were weak. I got hurt. Is, is getting hurt a weakness? And you expose these lies you tell yourself and you almost strip away the ego. That's the first part. The second part too um, is uh, psychedelics that I, I, I got into um, uh, ketamine uh, with a therapist and same thing. What it did is it stripped away that ego. It stripped away that person that lives with me every day telling me these lies and suddenly it's 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 clarity. You know, mm-hmm. you can address these issues, you can address these things that you're dealing with without the 43 years of experience that makes up Kevin Sullivan. So there there's there's methods, they work. You just have to, I guess you have to find them and and do the work yourself and trust it. I didn't trust any of that until I went through it. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I feel better. Yeah.
1: The- <clears throat> The, I feel like what we lean on the most, so the the, the typical drug program that was common with the uh, with the military and with the VA for a long time was essentially drugs, SSRIs and experiential avoidance, right? So CPT and, and CBT kind of came in 2009 to 11 time period. It started become, mm-hmm. becoming popular, but the first decade of war, it was just like, you know— Take Xanax and I uh, take ibuprofen, drink water, and fucking face out and pull security. <laughs> I mean, it's the same shit you've been hearing since boot camp. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, <clears throat> experiential avoidance just doesn't work ever. You know what I nope. mean? I, I I don't know. Like I, I understand that some people, like we all, you all everybody needs guardrails in their life. no question about that because uh, you know having guardrails in your life is like having a good diet and having a good immune system. It's it's just. It benefits you so you don't have to be switched on all the time you make good habits and stuff but if you're if you're so captured by something that you can't go anywhere near it then it has control over you whether you go near it or not and that is a big Mm -hmm. problem when you're talking about something that's psychological because it's coming at some point you can't control your thoughts 24 hours a day it's just not possible and you know when we talk about when we talk about the stories of people who we are proud of or people that we we look up to one of the, one of the predominant factors is resilience, right? It's not that they went through hard times. It's how it's that they came through hard times and became better for it. That's what we respect. Um, so I, for some reason, I don't know why it is, but we have this, our, our community, maybe because we thought we were super tough or some shit um, have this idea that now, because we're struggling that, yeah, like you said, somehow we're fucking weak. All of a sudden yeah. it's like, no, you're a human being with fucking trillions of neurons and they the pathway has gotten fucked up either through um, your sympathetic nervous system or through the limbic system or through uh, a traumatic brain injury or some shit like that. Something something's off, but it's you can fix it. There's very, very rarely are there these problems unfixable. You know what right. I mean? Um,
0: I've seen them. I've, I've fixed people. Yeah. <laughs> I've been part of the program where it's like, we take guys um, who are on the verge of just uh, a good friend of mine, Andrew Marr, who's actually down in your neck of the woods right now. Um, they're working on a bill to try to get it through the Texas Senate. We just got it passed through the House last week for these alternative therapies. And and um, if you l- listen to his story, which I think you can hear it on Joe Rogan, um, one of his shows uh, a couple of years ago. But you know, he was on the brink. This is a, a special forces operator that, you know, had, I can't remember a decade of experience under his belt and, and he couldn't, he couldn't function, right? He couldn't, he couldn't bring himself to uh, the, the standards that, that someone like the Green Berets or a group like the Green Berets uh, holds you to. And And if you don't identify that, you take someone who's at that level and then suddenly can't operate in a, in a, I don't know, a family environment then you have to identify what's going on. Um one of the things I ask a lot of the the vets that I interview is uh especially with the active duty guys, I said what are they doing now for you, right? Cuz I've been out since so 7. That's a long freaking time ago. It doesn't feel that long ago, but it was it 13 14 years. Um what are they doing? Like are, are they uh preparing you for uh you know, these stressors, these things that are coming Do they do they teach you uh, proper nutrition that he teach you meditation that he teach you ways healthy ways to and most of the guys say no at this point no especially the ncos it's still it's still in the realm of oh you're going to i don't know what they call it in the army i think they called it mental health in the air force oh you're going to mental health you know pussy and mm-hmm. it's like and it, and and that stigma is still there when when did you get out how long ago
1: uh the la- latter part of
0: 2010 okay so yeah i mean that was 13 years ago mm-hmm. in itself um Gosh, no, I said that wrong. That's been sixteen, almost seventeen years for me. But um, yeah, did did was there anything then? I mean, in the three years that I wasn't in, when you were <clears> in, were they identifying? Were they helping you to to I guess de stress and and give yourself a more we'll call it neuropermissive environment?
1: Uh, there was definitely no prophylaxis, you know, not not none that I was aware of, anyways. So you know. And maybe, I, I I find this hard to believe, but we, we certainly know more today than we knew back then. That's just how it works. But yeah, we, we did know that sleep hygiene is important. We know that yeah. diet is super important. We know that supplementation is important. We've been tracking low testosterone amongst TBI guys for fucking 15 years now and have done nothing to address that systemically inside the military. Um, sure, yeah. As a matter of fact, some friends of mine and I have been doing it for maybe five years now, just helping the special operations community stay fit um, when it comes to their their hormones and stuff. But certainly not when I was in. Most people would just go to mental health. One, there were shitbags that would go when they got in trouble to try to get out of trouble. But the (laughs) the, the people who actually went looking for help, usually it was like when they were getting ready to to get out of the military, right? They were just kind of out-processing, so now they were going to take some time to decompress but no prophylaxis that I was ever aware of. And I, I yeah. to my understanding from people that are in right now, that's still the
0: case. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a shame to some degree. I don't know, you know, like when I was in my twenties, I don't know how well I would receive that, receive that kind of, um, I guess we'll call it the hippy dippy side of the military. Um, I I would, I would hope that, I, I mean, in our squadron, we had a bar, that's how you, de- Decon or de-stress, you know, you have a bad flight, you have a near miss or something crazy. You head out to the bar or you go up to the squadron bar and you start, you know, putting drinks down and talk about what happened. And that's the environment. And, and that's the environment I wanted, you know, not knowing that it's going to pay some pretty negative dividends (laughs) down the line, but, um, yeah. So, and then it becomes a cultural thing, right. And you just repeat what seems to work for you when you're in your twenties, but it, 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 does not play out the same way when you're out uh, of the military and you're in your 30s now 40s and trying to to solve it the same way so yeah I, I'm hoping that it becomes more mainstream I I you know the the optimistic side of me thinks it will just because of things like the bill we're passing down in Texas and you know having having bipartisan support uh, is huge I mean it was um I'm gonna say it wrong it was Texas House Bill 4185, I think. It was just last Friday that it was passed and it was 142 to nothing. So it was unanimously passed utilizing what you just said. Uh, one of the main things we utilize is, is testosterone replacement. And we're getting people, I went through the program, I'm on no medicines now, zero, except for testosterone replacement and a, and a few supplements to you know, keep my brain operating where it's supposed to operate. But, um, yeah, we're having nothing but good success. So we're hoping that I think it's next week uh, we're going before the the Senate. I might go down to testify. Got to figure out if I can make it down there. Either way, uh, I think with a, a unanimous passing in the House, I think we'll do well in the in the the Senate. And then you know, keep doing things like that. Keep having groups you know uh, advocate, push these alternative therapies, these these things that actually save lives. We have the data, and and maybe it'll become mainstream. That's my hope.
1: This episode is also brought to you by First Form, firstform.com forward slash drink it bros. The product they really want you using is the micro factor. It's a complete daily nutrient pack. Now what's in it? Antioxidants, CoQ10, great for heart health, multivitamins, uh, greens and reds, which is to say fruits and veggies, then EFA, which is to say fats that you need. And then they got a probiotic in there as well. It's an easy little packet. You just dump it all in your fucking mouth and swallow, uh, probably with some liquid, preferably water. Um, they got all kinds of other great products as well. Uh, talking about those meat sticks, the breakfast sausage meat stick is the best thing I've ever had in my life. And of course they have energy drinks. They've got all kinds of stuff over there. They got great protein, the best supplements on the market. If you spend over 75 bucks, You're going to get free shipping, so go to firstform.com forward slash bros and get those deals. This episode of Citizens is also brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash bros. Right now, Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% off if you use the code drinkingbros at ghostbed.com forward slash bros. If you get the uh, 40% off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about thirty to thirty-five bucks a month. They've got a zero down, zero percent financing plan for up to sixty months, six zero months—that's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you. Works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to GhostBed.com for slash Drinker Bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best—the mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there. 30% off everything. Use the code Bros at ghostbed.com forward slash Bros. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. Yeah, just to address how fucking stupid our approach has been thus far. Um, when it comes to post-traumatic stress disorder, um, when there's a, if you want to call it a flare-up or an inciting act, whether it's a traumatic event or something else, um, if you're able to get to REM sleep that night of, of the event, you reduce the chances of getting PTSD by about 70%. And if you Really? Get, yes. And if you get REM sleep cool. the second night after that, it's an additional 30%. Now, alcohol will stop you from reaching REM sleep, especially if you're binge drinking. So if you have a drink, maybe... You can reach REM sleep. It depends on your metabolism. But if you have multiple drinks, if you get to a blood alcohol level of about 0.08, which is the legal limit for driving, uh, you're not going to reach REM sleep. Which means you're definitely not going to get the kind of recovery you need from that event. So, <clears throat> what happens is when you reach REM sleep after that event, it is it, it essentially instead of that event and the neural pathway it created in your mind becoming permanent, it gets flushed, right? So it resets your sympathetic okay. nervous system. You don't, you don't turn that into a core memory, essentially is what happens, right? Um, but it, it's true, it's our, it's our go-to. That's, that's what we do if we had a rough day. Yeah. Oh, I need a drink. Like, no, you don't, you need the opposite of a drink. Drink, <laughs> drink on the nights when you had a good day right? Like if you're, if yeah. you like to drink, that's what you should do. You should drink to have fun. You should never drink to recover because it doesn't work. I mean, it actually, it, it, it makes it way worse.
0: I wonder if ambient is the same because we were handed out Ambien like it was candy. You no, know? it's, mm. it's, it's how you've slept and it's addictive. And people don't realize that, you know, take it every day for, th- I mean, the VA used to send me 30 pills every month. It would be out in my, uh, my mailbox and, and they're wondering why, uh, you don't recover. And and I I would assume, cause I'm, the more I'm thinking about it, the mechanism of action is, is pretty similar to alcohol in the brain. So yeah, right there.
1: Yeah. I would have to look into that. I'm not entirely sure about how ambient affects REM sleep, but I'm sure it's not good. You know, yeah, can't, any, can't be. <laughs> any, anything that's, uh, anything that's that is affecting your sleep cycle in any way is not going to be good for that. I mean, you're better off <clears throat> to be honest, sitting in a dimly lit room with maybe a candle or a fucking dim uh, uh, headlamp if you're deployed at the time and reading a book until you fall asleep. That would be a much better treatment than ta- than drinking booze or than, than taking Ambien for sure. Um, Absolutely. Just yeah. physiologically speaking. So um, you said uh, before the show you do a lot with um, – you're, you're a PA, you do a lot of work with uh, veterans and TBI stuff. What's going
0: on in the TBI world right now? Well, um, hopefully good stuff. Uh, I've been working with Dr. Mark Gordon. Um, again, if you're interested in him, he was on, uh, I think with Andrew on the, the Joe Rogan podcast a few years back. Um, that would explain everything that he does better than I can. But um, he, he identified the the biomarkers of traumatic brain injury and believe it or not they're they're similar to post-traumatic stress so for an example my buddy andrew who was a breacher with the special forces right how many concussive blasts did he experience in his career i i assume thousands um he had several uh i think he was in a uh I'm not infantry or anything. So what do they call it when it's a building IED? Like they, they lure you into a building and blow it up? Oh, uh, uh, I mean, it's just a baited ambush, I guess, in that regard, okay. yeah. So he, he got into a situation like that. And Gordon started looking at uh, 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 athletes. Um, uh, he was working with, I just met him a couple of weeks ago, um, Mark Ripkin, Ripian, Ripkin. I don't know. Uh, he, he used to be the quarterback for the- ripen um, I think is- Ripken. Yeah, okay. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Super nice dude uh, for the the skins back mm-hmm. in the day. And uh, he started looking at, at, at uh, you know athletes and people that had these injuries. And he looked at the blood work and he saw their testosterone levels low. He saw their inflammation levels high. And at the time it was, let's try to replace these chemicals that are in an imbalance, almost like a fingerprint. We'll, we'll say it's like that. You can have a TBI fingerprint in your blood work. And he was doing it with you know, $20,000, $30,000 medications. And he was smart enough to say, what is the end game? We give you pill A, what are we looking for? Or pill A plus pill B equals pill C, or, or, or outcome C. What are we looking for with outcome C? And can we reach outcome C by using the building blocks, uh, a, a natural physiological building blocks? something like pregnenolone is a, a major component, DHEA. These are all stuff you can buy on, on Amazon. And so he uh, he followed that, he started putting people on this regimen, pregnenolone, DHEA, fish oil, things, things of that nature. And uh, through something called an MPQ or questionnaire, people's symptoms within, sometimes within weeks, improved quite a bit. Um, and the numbers always favored that this is doing something, 75%, 80% of the people that would try this, uh, this protocol would work. So he he brought it to the DoD. He did a a trial with I want to say it was Marines. Um, Oh, no, no, no. It was uh, at Fort Bragg with some special operators there as a preventative uh, method of treating these things did really, really well. Warrior Angels, who are the people that that uh, I'm associated with, they said, this is fantastic. You know, we have to get this out to other people because the DoD isn't going to pay for it. The VA is not going to pay for it. Even insurance doesn't pay for it so they raise money and put veterans through this program this protocol and yeah like i said we have we have fantastic outcomes so what we're looking to do is to to make a facility down in texas like a a legit um, i don't remember the name that we're looking for now but uh it's basically a warrior angels facility uh, heart 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 and mind clinic uh, down in texas with this bill that we're trying to get passed to you know Offer this to as many veterans as possible, and we'll start with that area. and, and My thoughts are, we'll we'll see this, you know, go go uh, national. Hopefully, I mean, uh, <clears throat> side effects none. Side effects are, I sleep every night, I don't have nightmares, um, I don't even crave alcohol. Right, we're we're I'm in North Carolina, we're a big bourbon area, and I enjoy it, but it, the feeling of having. You know more than one or two is negative like i i don't enjoy it and that's only happened since i've been through the program um uh anxiety is near zero uh sense of well-being is is fantastic um i mean it, it's it's i don't see anything negative coming from it only positive so very exciting stuff
1: i'm curious about the fingerprint that you mentioned the, uh, I, sure. I guess if you, if you would call it a, a baseline for diagnoses, maybe, mm-hmm. um, ha, so, have we worked backward on that at all? And, and like, I, we, we know anecdotally what the stimulus are and the deficits supplementally and hormonally and, you know, injury to the brain and stuff like that that causes a lot of this stuff. But yes. I haven't seen anybody work backwards <clears throat> as of yet and develop like a true, prophylactic, prophylaxis for this stuff. Like how, how can we have, uh, infantry and operators going fucking full blast and still and, and avoid, I guess, or mitigate at least some of the worst symptoms of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just haven't seen that. I like the that.
0: way you put that. I like that backwards. And that's, that's exactly what he did. Um, you're looking at, so when you have a, a concussive injury, right. Blast injury, even like I said, um, uh, there's a, a documentary actually, I forgot they put out last year called uh, Quiet explosions you can see it on on amazon prime and they get really detailed into mm. it but one of the the people they were working with was a woman from uh, i believe the naval academy who was a, a rape victim and her symptoms and her blood work is almost identical to someone who was in a blast injury mm. and uh, and that gets really deep into neurophysiology but what you have to look at is we'll, we'll look at the the like a blast injury you have uh cell death right in your brain Mm. um and those cells incephalopathy yeah yeah yeah, exactly that's cte Mm. uh they basically decompose and you have these um uh uh what do we call it there's a word for it uh, then just drawn a blank but you have the um uh, uh metabolic uh derivatives of that cell death which which leads to a Non-permissive environment. Basically, uh, this inflammation begets more inflammation, Mm -hmm. and it causes more damage. And not just that, Um, but your
1: brain is is wired, hardwired to be as efficient as possible. So when when it finds a a damaged place, eventually it'll stop sending electrical signals there altogether, right?
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the brain is people don't realize it's a supercomputer, right? mm -hmm. Well, you're sitting there. In fact, uh, like you take a football player that gets hit too hard, one of the one of the the parameters or the recovery is dark room, nothing. You know, not even reading a book, not watching TV, just letting your brain operate on such a low level that you are not basically revving an engine without oil in it. Um, no one does that. I, I don't know anyone that's ever actually followed a protocol to that to that degree. But that's that's what you're looking at because, like I said, the the environment of the brain is so toxic at that point that it 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 only sets up more damage. Um, there's a, a chemical called fractaline. Uh, you can look up, there's, it, it, it's like I said, you get real deep into the neurophysiology, but the uh, the blood work can actually identify that. And then the, um, you know, the, the I guess we'll call it supplements, except for the, the, we use something called clomiphene, which will tell your own body to create testosterone. We use that. And then we use actual testosterone replacement. Take that out of the equation. Everything is just, building blocks to repair your brain Um, uh, like i said the the pregnenolone dhea there's a few others that we use and then there's just you know vitamins that help reduce inflammation turmeric uh, fish oil Uh, there's a doctor named mike lewis Uh, he wrote a book and i i I might be getting that name wrong but he wrote a book called when brains collide and he uses high dose fish oil when i say high dose right uh, you might take I don't know, a thousand milligrams a day, you know, he's using 50,000, a hundred thousand milligrams in some of these brain injured people and they're freaking out, right? The other doctors are saying, what are you doing? You're going to cause a a brain bleed uh, because it can thin out your blood, but it doesn't. And he sees recovery in his people. So, you know, these are things that are available to us at pennies on the dollar that have fantastic outcomes. And it's, it's a no brainer to look into it because what you have to look at in medicine is, Mm -hmm is what i'm doing so what am i doing am i creating harm am i possibly causing harm or if the answer is no and and don't get me wrong you can cause harm by giving someone a tylenol but is my inaction also causing harm and you know when you look at the data when you look at people who who are treated with the typical ssri snri anxiolytics hypnotics pain meds uh, gabapentin things like that when you look at their outcome and their quality of life versus uh, people that we put on this, these alternative therapies, it's night and day, it's not even close. So it's like, as a medical provider, I have to ask myself, which direction am I going to (laughs) go? Am I going to go where I'm seeing people, recover and I'm seeing the data and I'm seeing these these like uh, Andrew went and ended up getting his MBA at uh, I don't remember what school he went to but a lot of these guys end up doing that they they become high performers again because that's who they were because we restored their brains to where they used to be Um, versus the person who or myself you know when I was half my well 10 years younger than I am now and I'm falling asleep and I'm not present in any, anything in my life like what's well, where should I go with that? And the answer is I'm going to where the, the quality of life is.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there's a, there's a few key things. Um, if you find yourself feeling that way that you can do, I mean, the first one is to make sure that your diet is good. Um, if you're not, oh, yeah. if you're not getting the right stuff into your body, then your body's not going to function the way it's supposed to. That seems obvious, but we seem to forget about it quite a bit. Um,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and then, you know, <clears throat> the hormone imbalances, particularly for males who have gotten out of the military in the past 15 to 20 years are fucked. And it's not just the military, by the way, it's the broader community. I think the average 21 year old today has 40% less testosterone than their counterpart in 2001.
0: Yep. Um, it's dropping, it's dropping every generation It's yeah. going down. That's
1: uh that's obviously not great. Mm-hmm. And it's, th- there's all sorts of causes for it. Environmental factors. Um, Foods, parabens, and and all kinds of products and stuff like that are definitely causing heavy metals as well. But it's not like polio. I mean, it's pretty easy to fix this shit. There's a a number of different – there's some stuff you can do with your diet. There's stuff you can do regarding your sleep when you wake up and what you do when you wake up. Um, And then, of course, there's testosterone replacement therapy that uh, can fix this stuff. You don't have to suffer anymore. You know what I mean? No, not at all. There's there's so many – like insurance doesn't cover a lot of this stuff on the medical side, but it's really not that expensive, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's, I think, uh, I don't want to misquote, but um, we put people through for, you know, a couple thousand dollars, and that might be a year of therapy, so um, yeah, it's not considering, right, considering, uh, you know, I can put you on a anti-inflammatory agent, that through the the magic of insurance and that whole game will end up costing you twenty thousand dollars this year you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so yeah in the grand scheme of things things it really isn't not to mention you know you're putting out you know the other end of this is you have productive members of society you know these aren't disabled people uh these aren't even broken people these are people that you know through whatever luck they had that they found themselves in this situation but you know, like I said, they're all high performers again. They're all doing doing fantastic. And there's no reason not to try it. You know, and if I was seeing, if I was seeing in the data, you know, okay, okay, we have, you know, some people that are responding actually, you know, even remotely poorly, then you would have to think about it and weigh it. But no, these these people are doing great. And, you know, we have Gordon started this, I want to say sixteen years ago, maybe longer. And um, the data is there and it, it speaks for itself
1: and it's <clears throat> you know unfortunately i guess it's mostly common sense which means that the broader medical community as it is in, in the west these days is just not going to do it you know what i mean it's like yeah. uh <clears throat> it's like this whole natural immunity thing the reason that was a taboo subject for the last three years is because it's fucking free you know what i mean um That's a that's a big problem for us right now. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it is. I, I don't know what contracts the the VA and the government had with companies that make SSRIs and shit, or if it's just a coincidence. You know, you don't need to be conspiratorial. Either way, it was a complete failure on their part, and you know, that is just what happens when you don't take control of your own life. It's the the mantra of this show is that. You can bitch and moan about your plight, and you can whine about your rights and how they're being violated, and you can stand around and wait for somebody else to secure them for you, and you will be a subject under their rule, or you can secure them yourself by performing the responsibilities required of you, and you'll be a citizen of a country, right? So there's two very different paths you can take. One requires a little bit of effort. The other one requires that you surrender your rights, uh, you know, a little at a time throughout your entire life. And then your kids probably have to go fight a war to get them back. That's kind of what we've seen historically. <sighs> and it really troubles me how <clears throat> so many people in the veteran community have, have given given in to the, to the former, thinking that this is a hopeless situation and blah, 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 there's nothing I can do about this. When in reality, you're the only one who could do something about this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's been one of the, the, I guess, good things about doing the, the podcast is, so we, we started the show, I don't know now, maybe four or five years ago, uh, we were working for, for Donnie O'Malley's uh, nonprofit there called the Reverend Warriors. Mm-hmm. And we would bring people on. And this is a testament, I think, to our generation of veterans, we would bring a lot of people on that created their own solutions, right? So they identified a problem, and they came up with a solution, whether that's uh, war horses for veterans, uh, backpacks for life. I mean, even a reverent warriors, perfect example right there, where they said, we're not going to we're not going to follow the traditional you know method, which uh, I, I I won't bring up their names, but we'll just say sitting in a dank bar, having a beer, um, you know, somewhere in, in rural America versus strapping on some silkies getting out there on a hike with your brothers and sisters uh where where you can take off that armor that that armor that you build up in the civilian world right and anyone who's been in the civilian world after the military knows what i'm talking about you're in that board meeting or whatever it is and someone says something and that dark humor comes in and Mm. you're like oh god do i want to just make a comment right now And you know you can't and you feel like a fish out of water so you go to these events and you feel fantastic right you're amongst your brothers and sisters again you can relive that that moment well you know and that's just one i guess we'll call it microcosm of of the really at this point hundreds of thousands of organizations that are out there grassroots that are 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 men and women who are helping each other out and it's it's just there was no shortage of people. And that's the thing, like I used to do, um, you don't really do this anymore, but it used to be very interview based on those VSOs. All I had to do was go on Twitter or Instagram and there was always, you know, someone starting something somewhere and, you know, listening to their stories and their motivations on how they did it and why they did it was, was really uplifting.
1: Yeah. Tell me about, uh, tell me a little bit more about, I, we, we've mentioned it on the show before and we have had Donnie on before, but, um, Tell me about Irreverent Warriors and what it is and how people can find it, because I think it is very um, beneficial to a lot of folks.
0: Yeah, it really is. I I was up at Burbiz. Um, I had I had worked on, and that's you know just one of those things. I don't know how the hell that happened, but somehow I, I started producing podcasts and stuff. Um, maybe 2014, I guess. And I was taking a break with that, and I headed up to Burbiz um, just to kind of check it out and see see which direction I want to take this in. And there I met Donnie, um, a guy named Dan Maller, John Acevedo, Um, They're all with uh, Vet TV, mm-hmm. and they told me about. They were next to this thing that said Reverend Warriors, and one of the guys is wearing silky shorts. And and Burbiz is usually like you know fancy pants, you're you're dressed to the nines. And so he started telling me about it. He's like, it it's it really is a place to, cause every day you wake up and you, you play a role, right? Today, I'm going to play uh, physician assistant. Later on, I'm going to be playing dad. Um, maybe I'll play neighbor and help my neighbor fix something over there, but you're always playing these different roles. Um, the one role that we all thrived in that we enjoyed, at least most of us did was the role of a veteran being around our brothers and sisters, active duty too. And, um, they basically recreated that in a silkies hike in the day. It was, uh, let me think 22 kilometers with 22 kilograms, but that kind of got thrown out. No one, no one really does that anymore. It's really just throwing on some silky shorts, um, and hiking with your, your brothers and sisters. Mm. And, um, you know, the community comes out, they support you. Um, the, the, uh, there's a lot of volunteers that, that help keep these things. And these things are a massive undertaking. In mm. fact, our producer on the show is the lead coordinator for the Raleigh hike down here. And I mean, it's, it's a, a monumental undertaking and it's hard work and it's all volunteer and they keep doing it and they keep going out there and they keep uh, um, pushing these events. We started with, I don't know, we'll say two or three hikes. I think it was one hike out in, in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And the last I checked, there was over a hundred hikes last year, maybe 130 across the country. And this year, uh, I don't know what the number is this year. We used to do the podcast for them. And uh, I was more uh, attached with them at the time. Like I had more of an idea of what was going on. Um, but <laughs> since we went over to Compound Media, I've, I've pulled away a little bit. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I know they're growing. And mm-hmm. they're, I mean, they do hikes in Guam, Hawaii. Yeah. They did one in Normandy, France. So yeah, if you're interested, uh, the only requirement is that you're, you're a veteran or active duty. Um, and just look up irreverentwarriors.com and there'll be a list of hikes there. It's free. Um, you can You can donate, which helps out a lot um and then if you're a civilian you want to help there's a, a way to do that too so
1: cool yeah it's uh it's a it's a fun program i know the people that run it here in texas they have a good time although you got to be careful what time of year you do it here in texas because it's hot as oh, fuck. God. Um, yeah <laughs> and i'm not trying to force march in 110 degrees anymore i'm done with that bullshit um yeah. <laughs> and then the name of the show, the name of the podcast is 21 Gun Podcast. Tell me about the show and what it's about and kind of who you interview and so.
0: Well, it started off um, you know, just a a, a hobby really. Uh I had a camera, I had um uh, a guy that helped me out. And it was really just to kind of connect people with VSOs, um, veteran service organizations, grassroots ones. I liked the ones that, you know, if I saw someone at a grocery store with a T-shirt on, I'd talk to them and be like, hey, come on the show. Tell us about what you have going on. We we immediately got picked up by uh, Reverend Warriors. I pitched the show to them and they're like, yeah, we'd like to spread this, this information. Worked for them for a while. The show started... Uh, Changing, uh, I want to say maybe 2020 when the shit hit the fan, things got weird, and you know we started talking about uh, our responsibility as veterans, you know the Constitution, you know what did we what did we pledge our lives for? So it, it, it we, we got into some hot topic issues, and I didn't want to bring that down onto Reverend Warriors, you know mm-hmm. they're nonpartisan, non-political. Um, you know they they rely on donors and stuff, and I wasn't gonna. cause any sort of issues there. So we went independent for about two weeks. Um, This is actually kind of a a cool story for me because I got into this originally because way back in, gosh, the 90s, late 90s, there was a a duo called Opie and Anthony. Mm -hmm. And they were out of New York City, huge, hugely popular. They they gave um, uh, Howard Stern a run for his money. And I listened to him all the time. At the time, I was working, you know, digging holes around Boston, Mass uh, listeners, they were really like a working class duo and they were just great. Um, I went into, when I went into the military, obviously I couldn't listen to them as much. And so I deployed and I contacted their, uh, producer and I was like, Hey, can you send us CDs? I'll pass them around the squadron and we'll kind of keep, uh, it'll, it'll allow us to feel like we're home again. And they're like, sure. And they sent that stuff out, whatever. Fast forward to when we separated from Reverent warriors. And I was like, I'm going to reach out to that guy again and see if we'll have him on the show and we can talk about those things. So we had him on. We had a great time. And then they came back a few weeks later and they said, hey, we like your show. We'd like you to come work for Anthony. Anthony Cumia is the Anthony Vopian and Anthony. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this dude was my hero growing up and you want me to work for him? So, uh, of course, I said yes. And we started producing a show for them over on what's called Compound Media, which is a, a free speech um, absolutist organization and we basically have on anybody that has an opinion and we've had some pretty pretty uh, uh strong opinions probably the most strong was we had kurt schilling on who is uh i know Kurt. he is yeah he's a great guy <laughs> he's a great guy mm-hmm. and a constitutionalist through and through so we have veterans on still um we we you know we have anyone really if if we have a booking agent and they say hey you know we got this person do you want them to come on And i'm like yeah let's bring them on especially if they're controversial that's that's it's the point of it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, compound doesn't really shit. Well, Anthony, especially, he has um, me and my co-host Ross on pretty regularly, so I know he doesn't. Oh, okay. He doesn't, cool. I know he doesn't give a shit about who comes. No, he really doesn't. Because we say the, we we say horrible horrible things on his show. But it's like yep. you know, it's kind of like being back in a fucking team room or something. Um, yeah. This talking shit. Chrissy Mayer is a good friend of ours as well. She was yep, here last great. week actually. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so it's uh, I like Compound Media. They're uh, it, it's, there aren't a whole lot of places you can go where, you know, pe- people have this idea of civil discourse. Like it's just going to be uh, two posh British people sitting in leather sofas across from each other and like, mm, yes. Okay. It's okay. But you know, civil discourse can also be calling each other retards, I think. Um, yeah. But not nah, just don't get butthurt about it. You know what I mean? Like, ah, yeah. that's stupid. Shut up. But then afterwards you're fine. You know, you gotta, we ha- we have to be able to have, conversations and strip down all the pretense I think to have to, to for it to be effective. And all this, uh, all these people with hurt feelings just drive me crazy these days.
0: Yeah. It's, it's rough. The, the two things I struggle with a couple things. Um, the first is, uh, the echo chamber, right. And, and I realize that being on compound I'm, I'm talking to my audience, right. Mm. So I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm reaching people that, that You know, need to be part of the conversation, people that need to say, all right, I'm going to put my own biases aside and listen to what these people have to say. And that, that's a bit of a struggle because we've separated really from all, um, you know, we don't do really YouTube. We don't do anything public anymore. And, and on one side it's great because there's no stress, right? There's no stress of being canceled. I mean, I suppose, I suppose it's possible, but, um, we're we're in a, we're amongst friends when we do our show over there. The other thing too, is I, I struggle with this a lot, and it, it, it was, you know, it almost cost the show for a while, is what am I putting out in the world, right? Am I just coming on and bitching and not mm. giving any solutions? Am I just echoing the, the libertarian, I guess we'll call it um, arguments that we hear all over the place? Or am I, am I, uh, I guess, contributing to the conversation? Um, and that's, that's, you know, it's a, it's a struggle, uh, but in the same sense, I feel like if I don't talk and we don't have these guests on and we don't do the the show that we do, I'm just laying, laying over, exposing my belly and saying, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm too worried about what could happen if I speak, what is, you know, our truth mm. and I'm going to, uh, suffer repercussions for it. So I'm not going to talk. And it's like, I, I can't do that. I see so much insanity in the world, right? Uh, that. It, it has to be talked about. It has to be discussed. It, it because if you don't, then it becomes the norm. Society begin the 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 um, what do they call those the mores the social norms shift to uh, an area that you don't even recognize. And you have to stand your ground and say no. You know I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play that game. You're free to be whoever you want to be. Absolutely, I'll I'll go to the grave defending your right to be who you want to be. But you don't have the right to dictate mores and values that I grew up with. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to celebrate the 4th of July. My kids know the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, they, they respect the founding fathers. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm not going to not fight for that. So the show's not going anywhere. Um, but
1: yeah, it's uh, so there's this, um, there's this principle in, in, in uh, buddhism and i guess to some degree hindi <clears throat> um called satyagraha and it's and it's what the civil rights movement referred to as passive resistance i guess um that that's kind of a reductive translation of what it means though what it really means is uh holding firmly to the truth that's what it means and the the background of this ancient uh non-violent resistance isn't that you simply comply with things like it's not that you that you do sit-ins and stuff like that like that's part of it i guess but it's it's primarily about holding on to what's true and that means behaving in a way that you think uh supports the truth and you know ethics and things like that and accepting the consequences whatever they happen to be and it's not unique to Buddhism um, or even the East because uh, if, you're a, if you're a Christian person you'll remember I think it's First Thessalonians chapter 5 um, where Paul's talking to the Thessalonians and, and he, he uses this phrase uh, uh, study all things and hold fast to what's true I think is the phrase something like that or, or uh, hold fast to what's good maybe it depends on how you translate that but this is a a principle that persists throughout all philosophy, no matter what region of the world, no matter what religion it happened to be a part of, and it, and it's that truth matters, right? It is our guidestone, mm-hmm. and and things done in defense of truth are typically good, um, and it's an, it's not the worst way, or it's not the worst principle to organize your life around, right? And we're having a lot of trouble with that these days. We, we live in yeah. a we live in a very delusional society right now. One that is failing the test of the is-ought fallacy. Like, we think that because life's not fair, that we should somehow manipulate life to make it fair. And that is dumb as fuck. I mean, that's the same mistake people make with communism. Like, oh, yeah, let's make a utopia. Like, not that, that, it's not, that's not how life works, right? So yeah. it's good that there are people out there kind of questioning the narrative
0: sure yeah because you know i think inherently as humans we know truth right Mm. uh even as a little kid when you did something you knew what was right and what was wrong and i don't know i suppose that uh uh, the other side of the equation might not i don't know if they recognize i don't know if they recognize that you know uh burning down a, a store is is not on the side of righteousness but on the side of evil i don't know um i would like to think Deep down inside they do know that um maybe they do maybe they don't you know maybe it is that shift of, of mores that is is you know uh leading people to violence and you know um i guess a culture of of yeah culture of violence <clears throat> versus a society of truth and and you know i i'm, I'm fully aware that you know saying i'm uh, yeah I'm on the side of truth, what that means. I mean, everyone's everyone's version of truth, I guess, is is based on your own experiences. But I don't know, I, 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 think, there a, a I think there is a universal truth. I think there's a universal right and wrong. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what's, what is causing it. I don't know what the end game is. Um, it seems like a lot of people in power are, they're almost hedging their bets on the negative. They're hedging their bets on violence and destruction. As if it is is the way to cleanse our society of some sort of inherent evil that we have, and it's scary, it's scary, especially when you have little kids because you're like, well, you know what what world am I leaving for them?" Uh, and it doesn't appear to be going in the right direction.
1: Well, I think it's uh, uh, I think it's more of a distracting tool to be honest than I, I I don't think that these people feel righteous. I think they think they're the ruling class and they deserve to be able to mandate things like that. And, you know, with that kind of ego comes this moralization of immoral behavior. We see it throughout history, right? It's like uh, if you can convince, and it's where fundamentalism comes from, whether it's religious or otherwise. It's like if you're that convinced that you have the moral high ground, you, you can do almost anything, no matter how evil it is, to maintain that moral high ground. That's a big right. fucking problem, right? And it's
0: yeah. What's the end game? The end game's a bloody battlefield.
1: Yeah, it's not great, um, but it's good that we're able to have conversations like this and uh, you know talk to people, let them say whatever the fuck they want. Frankly, because I'd rather know what you're thinking than have to guess. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that you're uh, you're out there doing it. Tell everybody before we get out of here. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your show
0: uh the best way to to follow us is at uh, on twitter because <laughs> because we know how open a society that is mm. lots of good things come from twitter but at 21 gun podcast and that just links us to everywhere we're mainly on uh behind a paywall over on compound media um but the more important work that that you know i focus on is the the healing brains and and to find them just put warrior angels foundation in google uh, WarriorAngelsFoundation.com. um and, and see what we got going on there. Next week's a big week for us. Like I said, if we can get through the Senate, hopefully I'll be down there. I think we're, you're down in Austin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I might be down in Austin. That's where the state house is, right? Uh, I might be down there next week. Uh, if I'm not there, there War angels are definitely gonna be down there. Um, uh, hopefully getting heard. So, so yeah.
1: Well, cool. Look, thanks man. I appreciate you coming today. Uh, great conversation. I appreciate the time.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, anytime. And uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.